Welcome to the Imaginal Inspirations podcast with me, David Lorimer, where I talk to my guests about experiences, books, and people that have shaped their lives and work. Imaginal cells are responsible for the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into a butterfly, which is the Greek symbol for the soul. These cells are dormant in the caterpillar, but at a critical point of development, they create the new form and structure which becomes the butterfly, not, I should add, without some resistance on the part of the caterpillar. My guest today is Dr. Howard Eisenberg, MSc Psychology, MD, who characterizes himself as a psychonaut, which is what Gene Houston termed an explorer of inner space. On the left side of the brain, he's a physician with postgraduate training in both psychology and psychiatry, and is one of the pioneers in both clinical and organizational aspects of stress management. He was an associate professor of medicine at the University of Vermont, and he's currently in private practice of psychotherapy and mind-body medicine in Newmarket, Ontario, where it's very cold today. He also heads up the international Fortune 100 consulting firm, Sintrek Inc. On the right side of the brain, as Ian McGilchrist would say, Dr. Eisenberg earned his medical degree and master's in psychology simultaneously, which is quite something. His master's thesis was on telepathy, and he was subsequently awarded the first postgraduate university degree in Canada for research in parapsychology from McGill. At the University of Vermont, he helped establish an interdisciplinary study group on complementary and alternative medicine, and is the author of Inner Spaces, Parapsychological Explorations of the Mind, from 1977, which became the textbook for his pioneering credit course in parapsychology at the University of Toronto. He's also hosted the CBC radio miniseries Odyssey, and he's the producer of the unique guided meditation recording, The Tranquility Experience. And his latest book, which I've read and reviewed, is Dream It to Do It. So welcome, Howard, to Imaginal Inspirations. And I'm going to go straight into our first question, which is about a shaping moment involving your choice of work. How did that come about for you? Well, first, thank you, David, for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to meet you, and I have such great respect for your old scholarship. Uh, back to your question. Um, I think my my interest in, in things otherworldly, if you want to put it that way, uh, beyond the consensual reality we experience, goes back to my adolescent discovery and fascination with science fiction. So I would say that that's what opened up my awareness of other possibilities. And uh, it became reinforced after that initial attraction and enjoyment uh, as, a, as a child in, in that realm. When I started to see some things I was reading about in science fiction, which were written by authors who had a literary background, not a scientific background, and were forecasting things that I started to see happening in terms of our technologies. And I was even interested in some of the artistic uh, representations of some of the cover jackets of some of those books, where they would show things like astronauts and spacesuits before we even had astronauts and space stations and so on. And I started to realize that there was a connection between imagination and reality or what some might call manifestation. So it goes that far back and that's how it started. I think science fiction. And was there, I'm going to ask you more about books, but were there any books that really stood out for you at that point? Not in the science fiction realm itself, but uh, when I was 17, 
I discovered a rather unusual book. Um, probably most of you wouldn't even know of it. It was called Fundamentals of New Individualism by Robert Doling Wells and Constant Roger Emerson. And uh, somehow, at 17, there's no computers back then, I discovered this book that never had a major print run. Um, and it was about a convergence of some of the uh, original Christian teachings with some back then, we're going back almost half a century, of uh, the developments in modern science, particularly in quantum mechanics. And uh, that alerted me to another connection between spirituality and discoveries of physics. I was sort of a polymath. I mean, I was studying all types of things at an early age, um, could never consume enough. There was no satiation. There was always no sense of just seeking more and more. And even now, uh, I have, a, as well as my regular bookshelves around me for my references, I have, you know, a lot of books I still have my pile here to read, uh, like yourself, probably. What was the date of that book? I don't know it. I'm now 76. So this is when I was 17. And I think it had just come out. I'll tell you another amusing thing about that as an aside. I became so fascinated by the contents of that book. And the, I found out that those two writers also put out a newsletter, uh, which they called, I think, uh, the New Individualism Newsletter or something of that nature. And I used to sometimes write them some questions and comments because I was so interested. Again, here I am just in my mid-teens. And uh, I didn't know who they were. And somehow, again, I found their address. They replied. And we had a number of these correspondences over several months. And then I received an invitation from them to become an assistant editor. They didn't know I was a teenager. And I was so deep into it. (laughs) Were you also, I mean, as I have been, um, Mm -hmm. influenced by the new thought movement? Because I I think there was a lot of this kind of creative thinking going on in the late 19th century in the US and also to some extent in the UK. Not so much that, but, you know, when you ask again about books, another one which has made a lasting impression on me is Republic by Plato, and particularly the allegory of the cave. That's so powerful to me. And I think uh, in some ways, unfortunately, so applicable in these days right now that we're in. And another book to me, which was sort of a turning point in my awareness, uh, was the book by Alan Watts, the book against, you know, knowing who you really are. So yes, those are the three, I would say. That yes, well, I'll come back to books because I'm, I'm <laughs> sure there are more. Let's just go back to the a previous question, which mm-hmm. is, did you at any stage, I mean, I suppose the people you've just been talking about mm-hmm. have an influential mentor or teacher and uh, were they helpful in terms of giving you some advice and guidance? I think I had, in, in a sense, indirectly two mentors and, and they were both... Uh, a source of invaluable guidance and support. The first was my mother, first girl. And she taught me, and this is literally what she would say, there's no such thing as can't, uh, which again, uh, had fantastic implications later in life. And I understood how powerful it? it was. I didn't back yes. then, but so powerful. And the, the other mentor is Stanley Krippner. I'm phenomenally impressed by the wealth of his knowledge and his wisdom with that knowledge. I'm phenomenally impressed by his role modeling, not being into ego. Uh, which I think is a critical issue right now we're dealing with in humankind. So he is, again, phenomenally uh, important to me as a mentor in that respect. And he actually wrote the foreword to your new book. Yes, he did. We well. go back yes, almost I, 50 years. <laughs> yes, I hadn't realized that that, mm-hmm. that, that, mm-hmm. that connection. Mm-hmm. And and then um, and we, we've looked at a number of books uh, you've mentioned, but I, I, is, there any, um, is there any other book that occurs to you in our conversation um, that you'd like to mention at this point? 
On the other spectrum, there's a very simple book for you know your listeners by Spencer Johnson, who's a physician, called The Present. The original version was The Precious Present. And it's about being in the here and now, which again, I think is so wise and needed. Um, so that's a good a book that's easy to read for people, but very wise. And uh, Well, it's a perennial lesson, isn't it? And it's one, um, you know, Ram Das is famous for saying that, isn't he? Be here now. Yes, be here now. Yes. And and all the great sages have, have, have said this and practiced it. Because right. we only have the present. We don't have the future or the past. We exist in the present. I also loved Huxley's book, The Perennial Philosophy. You know, so I, I really was going very much across fields and disciplines. Exactly. That was an influential book for me as well. And in fact, I'm just reading a, a biography of the Huxley family, you know, starting with T.H. Huxley mm-hmm. and going going down to Sir Andrew Huxley, um, so spanning about 150 years. And they were just an extraordinary family. Mm-hmm. And Aldous he was actually a scholar at Eton College, where I, I also attended as a mm-hmm. pupil. And uh, of course, he was struck with this terrible, almost quasi-blindness. He wanted to be a doctor um, originally, and so he had to change course. And mm-hmm. um, so let's move on to any key moment of insight in your work in, in relation to the nature of consciousness, because you've been in the field a long time. So I'm sure there are moments that... Yes, uh, and, and it's interesting, you know, important. I've been trying to think backwards in my own mind um, I used the expression in my forward of my book how I was really connecting the dots as opposed to necessarily discovering anything and I realized as I think back there were there were many dots you know there were many uh, flickers of light signs of what I was eventually going to realize and it really culminated in what I really call sort of a revelation I didn't hear voices but it definitely was a different type of an experience and profound and I was in 2018. I was invited to present a keynote at the annual conference of the Therapeutic Touch Network of Ontario back then. And between when I did my early research in parapsychology, my thesis on telepathy and the medical practice and teaching it at the university, I went off and mainly worked in my medical practice. And I did some corporate consulting work with the Fortune 100, as you mentioned in the intro. But I really had left behind in a disciplined way, the study and research in parapsychology. And even my readings of uh, science were more on the surface. I'd read things like Science News, Science Digest, to get like an, a, you know, an overall sense, Scientific American. But I wasn't going deeply into the journal articles as I once did. When I had that invitation in 2018 to do it justice, it was an honor to be the keynote speaker. I did a very, very deep dive. And I went right back 50 years when I left the detailed literature in parapsychology and physics and went deeper now to into the anthropological literature, into the comparative, you know, religious texts, the indigenous uh, teachings, uh, the psychedelic uh, realm, which is becoming more popular again, uh, which is behind a lot of interesting creative people that you may know from decades ago, the research in neuroplasticity, and I just, all of it. And suddenly I had an unexpected realization. And at first it wasn't a welcome one. I, I suddenly realized that in parapsychology, for example, where we were having so much difficulty on the one hand with replication, with our own experiments, we did have replication, but it wasn't easy. And secondly, very much a difficulty convincing the critics uh, to look through Galileo telescope and mm. see the possible truth of themselves because they dismissed it uh, a priori. So this was a real you know, conundrum when I was doing this deep dive, I started to reconfigure those dots 
and suddenly a connection emerged. I didn't try to make a connection. I was just trying to bring myself up to date. So I would do a, a reasonably scholarly professional presentation for this group. But suddenly I, I realized that the reason why psychic phenomena, psi phenomena were so elusive in parapsychology and why the so-called particles in physics are so hard, you know, to really tie down indeterminacy and probability waves and so on was because all of that's illusion. It's like we're chasing a shadow. Like, how do you catch your shadow when you're running? You know, you, the, the position of the sun may change. You literally can't catch your shadow. And I suddenly realized that although we have been on the defensive in, let's say, parapsychology, for example, which I strongly identify with going back in just a long time, been on the defensive, like, you know, consider what we're coming up with in our laboratory studies and some of the phenological, you know, experiences people have reported. There's something here where there's smoke, there's fire. You shouldn't be dismissing it a priori. And I realized that was the wrong position. It's the other way around. Consciousness is primary. What we call the material realm is a metaphysical fiction. It's the exact opposite. It's a hundred degree flip. I did not expect it to that degree. I thought I was still working as a scientist. I was still testing things. I have an hypothesis, you test it. Depending on the results, you may refine how you proceed with further experimentation. So I was working up until 2018 with the possibility that what we call things like psychic phenomena would possibly be explained by some other type of particles, uh, energies, force field, or something, again, we can't even categorize just yet in our frame of knowledge. And something I realized, no. And that's why, for example, you know, the first two chapters of my book, the first one is, you know, things are not as they seem. The second one is the only thing you can absolutely know. I mean, it went down to that core, and I suddenly had a clear realization. Which is what well, Planck says, isn't it? Experience. You can't get behind consciousness. Right. You know, and and every, anybody who's going to formulate a theory of everything has to be conscious in order to do so. And right. You have to factor your consciousness in. That's right. Now, I think this is, I think that we are making some headway in people realizing at least the fundamental nature of consciousness, if not the primacy of consciousness. And those two views are slightly different depending on, you know, the sort of underlying metaphysics. And then I was going to ask you a cross sort of disciplinary question. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's that, have you had sort of synchronicities or parapsychological occurrences in connection with your coaching work or in, indeed with your uh, work with patients? Does that yes. sometimes happen? Can you give us an oh, example? Oh, oh absolutely. Um, it's not infrequent when a patient will say to me, I'm still practicing as a physician in psychotherapy. It's not infrequent that a patient will say to me, and sometimes the people I coach as well, uh, that they're shocked that I just brought up something that they intended to bring up but hadn't yet brought up, or knew something they weren't going to tell me necessarily, and I was aware of it and was referencing it, you know, in, in the conversation. So that type of thing has has happened frequently, and you may call that precognitive telepathy. These distinctions are a little artificial, um, but I've certainly had that experience. I've had precognitive dreams as well. And, you know, I should add up, up until recently, my interest in all of this was, you might say, academic. I, I wanted to know philosophy. I, I love mm. to know. I wanted to know as a true seeker. And I like teaching. I like sharing as well. But it's different now, David. Um, when I had that experience back in 2018 of a different understanding of consciousness, and I agree with you, by the way, that there is in some ways more and more recognition in the scientific community that consciousness has a role to play. Perhaps it's worthy of, of, of a deeper look. 
um, even in psychiatry with the new interest in psychedelic drugs for exploring other levels of consciousness in the mind. Um, but all of that though is, is still, how should I say, in a way superficial when I say mm. academic. Mm. Because right now I, I feel literally called to share this and that's why again, I thank you for this opportunity. Uh, our world's crashing around us. So if, if we put aside the experimental data, we put aside the theoretical data, and another way of questioning the validity and legitimacy of the materialistic reductionist paradigm that there's an independent material world is look what's happening on our watch. We thought until recently we were godlike in our knowledge of technology. We, we could do literally magic with our technology of all types of sorts. And, and now what are we doing? We, we are killing this planet. We are causing extinction of, of species. There's, a, to me, a mass insanity that's spreading throughout the world mm. right now. A toxic uh, culture, ways, as Gabor Mate would call it. People like emotionally dysregulated. Um, so that's another way for me to you know, look at the reality of what I think I've discovered in this, what I said is a revelatory experience back in 2018, but the primacy of consciousness, but it's not just academic. Because if we don't come to a realization, awareness, appreciation of our connection with each other and everything in this world, and very soon, it's going to be a horrible ending. You asked before about, you know, personal experiences and some of my work. It's not a blessing, I assure you, but I have a lot of premonitions these days, and they're not good ones. And then since 2018, many of them have come true, and I wouldn't want them to have come true. They were considered improbable at the time by my people around me, so to speak, in the news media. I still see a lot of very, very bad things happening, and soon... I can't just ignore it. it. It's just as the book came to me, you know, not just the ideas I've expressed in the book, but the whole experience of writing the book, David, for me, was almost like a channeling experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are there are concepts in that book. There's even uh, you know the terminology, the phraseology, which is not how I normally communicate. And when I listened uh, after the audiobook version was produced, which was narrated by a, a female BBC announcer and heard my words spoken by somebody else, it was a very strange feeling. I understood mm -hmm. the words, but I didn't necessarily feel that it came from me. <laughs> and in a way it didn't, of course, it's you know beyond my ego. But so that's my point, it's imperative for me to speak out. The function of a prophet is to warn and hope that people will pay attention and change. So I think there's in a sense what you're doing here because your premonitions presumably are such that if we continue in the way that we are continuing, then these are the kind of things that are going to come about because they, they are the natural manifestation of the way that we are thinking and behaving towards each other. Right. Unfortunately, yes. Yes. No, I won't ask you about specifics. I think might might be indiscreet unless there's anything you particularly wanted to mention. So what about your how your under I'm sure it does. How does your understanding of consciousness influence the way you live your life? I mean, you've been talking about that already. Well, for one thing, it's given me, it's made how strange to you, a fluidity. And it's also made me much more compassionate. Literally, sometimes when I, I'm aware of things that come up in the news media, however it may come up, I have tears in my eyes. I, I have profound sadness. I don't obviously welcome that emotion. It's not a choice. So that too, very, very, very deep compassion for others. Um, Which is um, a sense of the whole, isn't it? And a, and yes. a bonding. I mean, Rupert Sheldrake talks about uh, telepathy being facilitated by bonding, which is love. 
um, yeah. which I'm sure is is the case. And then, I mean, it strikes me that the what you're saying about your latest book is it came mm-hmm. from some deeper aspect of yourself. It was oh, definitely. It was like, and I I experienced that that my poetry comes from uh, you know mm-hmm. a deeper layer mm-hmm. of myself, and I sort of receive it and then I formulate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I put it into words, but it, mm-hmm. it it comes from it comes from someone else, somewhere else, or or else it flows between me and a natural phenomenon like a tree or a river mm-hmm. or a bird or even a squirrel. The other morning, uh, I haven't mm-hmm. finished that one yet. <laughs> and any any other experience that you'd like to to mention? Because I, I think you're you, you've articulated very well. You know just how things have changed for you since uh, 2017, 2018, and of course we as a species have been through an enormous amount since that time. I know, you know, when I when I wrote my book, um, the final manuscript was submitted um, just over a year ago. It first physically came out in mid-November of 2021, and back then I was setting the doomsday clock, which was set, you know, at, at the uh, exceedingly short interval of 100 seconds before midnight. And that was before we had a resurgence of uh, COVID with the Omicron variant. That was before the Russian invasion in the Ukraine. That was before we started seeing some massive problems with, with climate change globally, not just you know uh, minor variations of temperature, major changes, tremendous flooding, tremendous droughts. This is all before that. It's, it's before Trump coming back to the media, and I won't go into much more detail. But I was alarmed then. And, you know, as another aside you might appreciate, because I published before my first book, again, Inner Spaces, going back almost half a century, and at the time was with the one of the largest publishers here in Canada, this time I self-published. I first inquired with some of the major publishers in the genre how quickly they could get my book out into the public. And they said after a manuscript was accepted, which, you know, is not an automatic thing, sure. uh, at least one to two years. Yeah. And I thought, we can't wait. So I hired my own crew, and they said we could do it for you in just close to a year. Better than, you know, manuscript mm. approvals, mm. revisions, mm. Uh, and then another two years or two till it's out. So I said, okay, we'll go for it. I said, but I want to do it faster. They, we did in five months. From the moment I submitted my, my initial, you know, rough manuscript to it physically being available five months. I mean, that, that's how driven and consumed. That's a, yeah, good, really, that's a very good turnaround. Now, I do agree with you that the, this change mm-hmm. of consciousness and perspective is, is the key thing. And, of course, anybody who's had a mystical experience will have experienced that for themselves or within nature. It's, it's, you can mm-hmm. have a similar sense because we don't our newtonian view is one of separation isn't it yes yes um, and yet the quantum view is inter- inherently interconnected but it hasn't kind of penetrated in the upper echelons of um, influence so people no, and, and regard anything, themselves as separate and superior which they're not it, none of us is and if anything we're going the wrong way you know even some people think we're becoming more enlightened with political correctness with recognition uh, various minorities and trying to make sure their their rights are reasonably protected, that they're treated uh, equally without discrimination. And I think that's so in the wrong direction because you're looking again, separating people. Oh, there's people of this religion. There's people of, of this uh, racial background. There's the people of this cultural or geographical area. It's the wrong way to look at it. We're all together. We're all connected. We're all in this together. 
And so I think a lot of the societal measures right now are totally in the wrong direction, even those that seem to be progressive, such as that one. Well, I think it goes along with intolerance. That's what I've noticed, that the, 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 it, it becomes an orthodoxy. So that you have to, if you don't agree right. with this orthodoxy, then you're not tolerated, you're, right. you're deplatformed. And, you know, a democratic society, and that's why I'm worried about democracy, a democratic society involves plurality of views and open exchange, rather yes. than being told what to think and what to do. That's right. Very much the wrong direction, yes. Yes. So you're right, absolutely right. Um, and we're all working in this direction to enable people to realize this fundamental unity and interconnectedness of life and mind. Just coming on to the last section, Howard, do you have a favorite proverb you live by or quote that um, means a lot to you? You know, you, went, you asked earlier about mentors and so on. So I still have my mother. There's no such thing as can't. There's two. <laughs> and be here now very powerful yes no such thing as can't be here now well that really is, is pretty pretty powerful pretty mm -hmm. powerful do you have any advice from where you are now that you give your younger self yes not not to be so influenced and at times controlled by emotion i'm working on another book right now by the way on ego management because I, I think that's you know the the critical point of leverage right now to turn things around we have to get the ego out of the way. We have to learn how to tame our emotions, not suppress them. But as I try to teach my patients and clients, think through your feelings. It's just a source of awareness. It's not necessarily all what guides you towards what is real, what is true, what is valuable, what is beneficial. So yes, that would be the main thing as I would look back, you know, not to have been so guided by my feelings. Although I was very scholarly and interested, I also was very passionate. <laughs> experiment in many ways beyond being just a psychonaut so um yes hindsight's 2020 in that respect well indeed but i think it's also a maturing process isn't it because yeah. you know maybe we do mature or we should mature well hopefully <laughs> hopefully yes i mean hemingway mm -hmm. said we do not grow wiser we grow more so um <laughs> which which is the sort of mm -hmm. hazard i think of, mm -hmm. yes. of becoming a caricature of yourself but exactly it seems to me that the it's my experience that the as you become older you can become wiser and more universal in your outlook more sympathetic and maybe also take yourself less seriously hopefully yeah good howard thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and perspective uh, with us. I'm sure our listeners will have found it of great interest. Thank you so and I much. do recommend you uh, get a hold of his book, Dream It to Do It. You'll learn a lot and you'll be able to reorient your life in a positive direction. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Well. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye.